0: Welcome back to the O'Reilly Bot Podcast. I'm John Bruner. This is episode three of our new pop-up podcast about conversational interfaces and chatbots. These are little bits of artificial intelligence that converse in human terms. If you want a little bit more background, be sure to check out episode one, where Pete Skamarach and I talk about some background on bots, and um, episode two, where we talk with Sarah Goa from Greylock about why she's interested in bots as an investor. Today, we get a little bit more into some technical stuff and sort of strategy stuff for people who are building bots and thinking about how to measure them. Before we get into that, I want to remind you that O'Reilly Bot Day is coming up on October 19th. This is a one-day comprehensive overview of the bot landscape. We've got stuff on general commercial strategy, as well as overviews of artificial intelligence, natural language processing, user interface design, platforms, frameworks, and a terrific talk on how it all ties together and how society reacts to bots. That's October 19th in San Francisco. For more information, visit O'Reilly.com bots. Now, as always, I'm joined by Pete Skomarok, and our guest today is Dennis Yang. He's the chief product officer at DashBot. It's a new analytics service for bots. Hey, Dennis. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about uh, DashBot, what it does, and and this new world of bot analytics.
1: Sure. Um, Dashbot is a analytics platform for bots or any conversation a conversational UI, for that matter. Um, and where we kind of came up with it was, um, you know, my co-founder and I were making bots for Facebook and Slack. Uh, we made this bot called Game Monk, um, that is a you know pretty popular bot on Slack. Uh, it mm-hmm. allows your team to play games amongst themselves, uh, trivia and and uh, category games, whatnot. And what we realized very quickly was that. We couldn't see what was going on in the bot. Um, you know, I wanted to see how, what teams were installing, uh, how many people were actually interacting with our bot, what they were saying, um, and you know, while we were logging everything out to kind of text and flat file, it was really hard to kind of really dig through that and get anything useful out of those logs. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: So we started looking around for you know, we're like, surely there must be an easy solution in this day and age of you know a, pl- a plug-in analytic solution, and there was none. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we made our own and in doing so, we realized that other bot makers really wanted this as well um, because what we realized was that, you know, the existing analytics solutions were kind of ill-suited for processing conversations and giving us what we really needed as a, as bot developers. Um, so what we made it was DashBot. It was, you know, we started with analytics. Um, and what we've now really come to understand is that you know, charts and graphs are nice, but, the conversational data stream is so rich um, as compared to, you know, before you're trying to ascertain what people are trying to do from like a click or a, an event. By getting the real conversation, we can understand meaning and nuance, and that's extremely powerful. Um, and that allows us as an analytics company to kind of almost graduate up from charts and reports to here. here's like a session that you can fix right now. Like um, it's no longer... A Monday morning, kind of. This is what you could have done last week, and we're on the sidelines there with you and telling you, you know, here, here are some interesting sessions that are going on right now. Um, here's how you can change them. You know, we are understanding the conversation, so we're trying to help our customers improve their bots on like an individual basis.
0: So, so understanding uh, the nuance of conversation and interaction between bots and humans. That sounds like what a lot of people who are building bots are are aiming to do themselves. So, what is the line between a bot analytics service and uh, and the bot itself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, we definitely recognize that there's there are a lot of platforms working on helping customers create bots, Um, and I think the way we view the ecosystem is, you know, on the vertical side, there's a ton of different messenger platforms and. Like your Facebook and Slack and mm-hmm. iMessage, there's you know Amazon Alexa's there, Kick, Line, Telegram, etc. Um, and there are a lot of kind of horizontal platforms helping people build bots um, and deploy them across several different vertical messenger platforms. Um, we kind of see ourselves kind of diagonally cutting across the entire landscape and able to help our customers work with both of those systems. Right? Um, we don't want to be in the business of helping our customers make their bots and understand, you know, how those processes are working. That's a hard problem. Um, what we do wanna be is, you know, helping our customers identify where those issues are, kind of understand, hey, here's an issue, here's a problem, um, you know, work with your platforms and understand what the issues are and improve them. Like we don't want to be in the business of making the bots for them. And we think that there's you know definite room for us to focus on Actionable insights um, mm-hmm. and the bot platforms to focus on building amazing bots.
3: Dennis, what platforms uh, does Dashbot work with right now?
1: Um, right now, we're, we're we're natively supported with uh, Facebook and Slack, um, meaning that you know when you pass us the conversational payload for each of those platforms, we report on all of the the rich and deep information in addition to the words themselves, um, and then we have a restful API. That you can just pass us any conversation stream um, without the associated metadata and that you know is can work for any any conversation be it email sms you know and all the other platforms that we don't support natively um
3: one of the things that i think is surprising for a bot developer or or people who have come from the web and trying to develop bots um on these platforms is that you don't get a lot of the data you would get from a website like impressions and Totally. So the like if a bot fails uh, you don't even you may not even know and the user may not know because right. it's happening on the platform. Can you say a little bit about that and like have you do you, do you think there are some
1: ways around that? Uh, I mean there are, there are a whole different you know the the paradigms are completely different when you look at conversation, you know, like it was one like kind of minor shift when we went, when we went from web to mobile, like the analytics were a little bit different. Um, but now when we're going from you know into conversation you know, there is no 404 error page. <laughs> uh-huh. um, the equivalent, I guess, would be like the, the bots, like, I don't know what to do with that or something. You know, right, like that's, right. that's like a, a great example of an equivalent to a 404. Um, there are other really interesting differences, like in the case of Slack, where you have multi-user sessions. Um, you know, we have, in, in GameMonk, we have reports where we have, you know, hundreds of people in one session. And it's like, that report would look broken in the web and mobile world. Um, so we're kind of rebuilding a lot of the like a new new paradigms for conversational analytics in this bot world. Um, and we're learning you know, and we're working with our customers and you know I think the new page view metric in the bot world is a uh, number of messages. So hmm. messages in, messages out seems to be um, kind of that vanity metric that that bot makers are really interested in kind of saying like hey, you know my, my bot did a million messages this month, that kind of thing.
0: At a high level, is there a good analog between sort of other aspects of web analytics that people would be familiar with and their counterparts, you know, in, in bots, like, you know, is a, obviously a conversion could work in, con- in bots if yep. you're having someone order something, but in other ways, you know, time on, time on site, bounce rate, stuff like that. Uh, do the analogs make sense or, or is this a really different area?
1: Some, some of them do. I mean, you know, we we call something a session, um, but mm-hmm. when you dig a little bit more deeply, um, you know, some customers have bots that have asynchronous conversations, um, and some customers have bots that have synchronous ones, right? Which is like real time; they're kind of going back and forth. And like so, you know, depending on the customer, we're trying to figure out, okay, you know, do you want to set up your bot for an async session, meaning that mm-hmm. you tell us when you know the, the bot the, the user asks a question, the bot responds immediately. User leaves for an hour. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. The, the bot comes. You know, the user comes back, and answers. The bot continues that same conversation, right? So that's kind of the same session, but the word session is the same. And I think that, frankly, like the web world, we define you know a session. I think it was like you know a 60 second timeout or something. Like if you mm-hmm. left the web page and you came back in, it would start a new session. Right, um, right, And it's for a conversation. It's actually there's more continuity. Um, so the same concepts. That existed in web are actually more um, rich in conversation, mm-hmm. um, and but, but other concepts like you know conversion obviously is a key KPI that a lot of people are going to be looking at. Um, you know how much, <laughs> how many how many sales did my bot make? Is the same question that you ask your website: how many sales did my website make? Right, right. Um, retention is one uh, that is about the same. You know, like how many how many people came back to tomorrow or the next day than that that were here yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. that's one that's one that we have um you know that we provide with Dashbot. um but there are other ones like you said you know bounce rate is i guess could work I, we haven't really, really <laughs> made that one yet um you know which is the bot gives maybe sends one message and um and then the user doesn't leaves. get a reply yeah yeah we we kind of call those short sessions right so mm-hmm. session length is very interesting to us um in the case that you know it's we if we've set up your bot as a, as a synchronous bot uh, where essentially, if the bot says something and the user doesn't say something for a certain timeout, then we consider that session to be over, and um, that's kind of similar to um, a web session. And mm-hmm. then we can kind of calculate bounce rate in that case.
0: And you're also operating in the post-cookie world, right? Yeah. So there's no cookies. There's
1: no there's no IP addresses. There's no browser string. Um, but on the other hand, there's you know there's Facebook, um, and we get. A lot of information from the Facebook API. We get gender, we get locale, um, mm-hmm. we get uh, language that Facebook tells us. But since we have the conversation, we can, you know, parse mm. the conversation and figure out, you know, yes, you said your encoding is is enus, but you seem you seem to be typing in, uh, you know, in French,
0: um, that oh. kind of thing.
1: You know, and in the, in the case of Slack, you know, we get very rich team information about the know the the team and the people and the names that kind of thing
0: the topology of the team sort of who the, and who is talking yeah. um and i
1: think that that's you know i think there's a lot of different type of information um and it feels different in that i feel like with cookies and ip addresses and the web and mobile world you're almost trying to guess at certain things mm-hmm. um whereas in this new world you're starting to be given a lot more kind of strong information it's like this person has identified as a male um, in Facebook, and that's what they're telling you. You know, you're not trying to guess their gender from a photo mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. or, or an IP address. Which you know, I, I I remember there used to be used to be some I you know APIs that would try to guess location and like from IP address, which is such like a weak mapping. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, uh, and then and in this case, you know, you you can get much stronger information. And especially if you're in the in the conversation with a bot, and you send a pin, mm-hmm. um, as you can in the case of Facebook, like you know exactly where they are.
3: I'm I'm curious about um you mentioned uh you're getting this rich identity data from from Facebook. What what's the uh, equivalent? So the way you integrate, could you say a little bit more about how you integrate? And because I I are those two different systems pulling all that identity data from Facebook, and then um. Uh, getting the conversation analytics.
1: Yeah, those are two separate systems. I mean, essentially, um, all of the conversation data is aggregated into you know our our system, um, and then we kind of go off in the background and kind of you know, help our customers understand what their what their users are and what their users are doing, that kind of thing. So there's a separate process that kind of goes and stitches that all together. Is that what you mean there?
3: Or- yeah. And how would that work for Slack? So. Yeah. yeah. Could, could you just say a little bit more? Like if I had a Slack bot, how mm-hmm. would Dashbot
1: be integrated with that? Yeah. So um, how- our, our integration is, you know, it's a very straightforward. It's, you know, at the very minimum, it's three lines of code. Um, so, you know, we have uh, if we have an NPM node package. Um, and essentially the high level architecture of the integration pattern is every time you, you get a conversation package, you know, send us a copy. And every time you're sending one out, send us a copy as well. So we're, you know, our architecture is asynchronous and we don't want to be in the critical path of your bot actually doing its job, but send us a copy every time you get one. Um, and then we kind of process all of that analytics for you on our side. So we're essentially, we like to call it hyper real time because your conversations will show up in the system within 200 milliseconds of um, us receiving the payload. And that's the kind of the target we're looking to hit, and that allows you to actually um, jump into the conversation if you want to see something, you know, to take over the bot. And that's one of the features that we're starting to, you know, I guess, John, as you mentioned, you know, where does analytics end? Uh, we we like to work with our partners and, you know, help them use the analytics a little bit more. Um, so we, we just launched a feature called Live Person Takeover, where you can actually pause the bot and then jump in as a human and continue the conversation.
3: Is there anything else you'd like uh... To see in the Slack API that would make the the analytics
1: better. One of the things that people have started to ask for is, you know, delivery information. I think um, that's something that we might kind of start to look into. Uh, you know, we do get a lot from the conversation in terms of the Slack API. Um, the you know, right now we support buttons. We we essentially see the entire kind of interaction between the bot and the user. So it's it's pretty good right now. Um, you see button clicks and things yep. like that. We see button clicks. We see typing, which we're not we're not reporting on because that's a little bit a lot of data. Hmm. Um, reactions is great. You know, like essentially, your your bot is interacting with your team in, in a lot of different ways, and that's that's what we want to give uh, reports on and give understanding to.
0: So, as a as someone with a product that sits between a lot of bots and a lot of platforms, yeah, um, mm-hmm. do you have a sense of some Best practices for bot designers to to maintain engagement, to keep people involved, to you know avoid abandoned shopping carts, so to speak, um, <laughs> to provide a good experience.
1: Yeah, we're we're definitely learning a lot. Um, one really interesting pattern that we found is that humans are definitely kind of anthropomorphizing our, these bots, and even though mm-hmm. they're called the a bot, they'll talk to them. Um, so anticipate for that. Um, so people ask like a common question. We were just chatting with one of the bots and. Even though their bot was very kind of straightforward and only did certain things, they would you know it would people ask it to tell a joke all the time. So they uh-huh. they were like, "All right, <laughs> we're seeing this a lot, so we might as well throw it in, right?" And it's something that, that
0: Siri trained um, people to do, I think.
1: Yeah, and I, it's not quite an Easter egg, and that's what I was, I was kind of wondering. You know, like Pancho, for example, if you mm-hmm. um, if you say you and they're they're using us right now, um, they're a weather bot on Facebook, and if you tell Pancho that you love if you love Poncho, mm-hmm. then you'll actually get kicked into this whole separate uh, side conversation um, <laughs> that they have designed to handle it. And I think that that's kind of one interesting thing is, you know, try to un- understand and anticipate that people really do think that your bot is listening. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And related to that, you know, kind of a more serious pattern is after a session is over. One thing that we learned uh, was really helpful was to ask for feedback because it's a perfect mm-hmm. time to add to you know thank you for doing whatever it is that you're doing with me how did i do how could i improve and you'll find and we found this static show that people will actually give amazing feedback when you ask them right away mm-hmm. um some of it is sarcastic and i guess since we made a game bot, it we think we kind of skew a little bit more on the casual side uh-huh. um with a lot of swearing and whatnot but uh <laughs> we definitely found after we asked the the what did you think about that round question that that a lot of users really did give input.
3: Dennis, uh, yeah, we played with Monk a bit, and it's interesting because, uh, for a few reasons, but one thing that's interesting is it's an example of a a bot on Slack that you're interacting with in public um, with multiple people. Yeah. Um, And reminds me a little bit of like the case of uh, like Chowice uh, and WeChat. Where it was more, uh, you know, of a public bot. Um, what do you think? What, I, I imagine you've also experimented with bots in DMs, yeah. which are more like one-to-one with the user and are more like that, you know, customer support use case. Uh, so, what can you compare and contrast those and 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 you know? Yeah, definitely. Which do you think is more engaging?
1: Um, so, I think like the reason, one of the big reasons I thought. Like I, I mean, I got excited about the conversational interface, um, which is really what this is about. You know, people call people are the people are calling this whole thing bots, um, but it re- really is it's an is it is an evolution of human computer interface. You know, from web to mobile to conversation. And the thing I love about conversation, um, and if you know you have an Amazon Alexa, the the thing I love about it is it's always there and it's in context. Mm-hmm. So you know, while you're while we're in a room, kind of chatting. Um, we can be like, you know, Alexa, what's the weather today? You know, and, and she'll chime in. And without needing to leave our existing conversation, our room, you can just kind of integrate uh, information. Um, and I think that's the group pattern that I think I'm really excited about. Um, you know, a great example of this in Slack is StatSpot, where, you know, in a marketing room, you can be chatting and be like, StatSpot, you know, what were, what were the... The what was the retention user report for last Tuesday or something, and they and statsbot will just kind of chime in. Um, mm. So I think that's a very in, really interesting pattern for for conversational UI. Um, Facebook right now does not support group chats with bots, but I can imagine that they're I hope they're thinking about it. Um, but I but imagine a case where you know we're chatting. And you know, I'm like, hey Pete, like, let's go check out a mo- like the new Star Trek movie. And then, like, hey, Fanango bot, like, get us some tickets. And you know, us within that group chat is integrated into that experience. We didn't have to go to the website. We didn't have to open the mobile app. Right. Super interesting. and then you know, and then of course there are the whole direct message pattern, which I think a lot of bots are currently doing. The sing it's basically it's like single player and multiplayer mode.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So on a user basis. Do you see any pattern in the way that people become accustomed to talking to bots? Like the first time an individual user talks with a bot, they're kind of uh, trepidatious. They're, you know, playing with a little bit, asking it to tell them uh, jokes. And then as they become accustomed to it, they start to speak to it in a different way. Do you see any like patterns like that? Um, I see two kind of big bot design kind of schools of thought.
1: Um, one is the natural language way, Mm -hmm. right? Um, in which the bot just says hi. and you just usually the bot says, you know, hi, I'm Dennis bot. Here's what I can do. You know type some words, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And usually that's a fairly like long help message, like you can ask me to do this, you can tell me to do this, that kind of thing. And then the other way that bots are designed are with buttons, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that they're, they're, they're kind of different in that the button based bots are kind of asking you, to only say certain things and i and i'm wondering mm-hmm. which direction and like these these two design patterns are going to kind of take and which one's going to be more popular i'm not sure um, the conversational one is is more rich i think but mm-hmm. it's also more fraught with you know y- you can ask and if you can ask anything then you really will ask anything right
0: right right, right. Oh. and it's harder to to give the user a sense of what they should be asking the bot you know yeah. and, and that can be frustrating too but my, right. my theory is that uh, when we talk about bots at this stage, we're often a little too demanding of them. And yeah. uh, I think that we kind of envision this future where bots are as flawless to speak to as humans, but that it, it doesn't have to go that far. There are all sorts of technologies that we use now that require some adaptation on our part. You know, we use Google and we and we right. search Google using phrases that we would never speak or never write in other contexts. We've learned how to use search engines, and this is why, you know, Ask Jeeves right. didn't, didn't go anywhere because it turned out that people were happy to use Google the way that, uh, you know, yeah. Google needs to be used. So I think w- we, we imagine that bots need to get to this place where they can respond flawlessly to weird requests and, you know, communicate perfectly what they're able to do. But I think, uh, you know, it, it doesn't need to go that far, at least in the, you know, near term.
3: Dennis, I had a quick question related to that. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, is... Kind of interesting. Building a bot is that if it if it's conversational, if it's uh, speaking, or if it's uh, returning text via message, somebody has to come up with that copy. Yep. Um, at this at this point, right? We're not at the AI point where it's uh, constructing you know meaningful sentences by itself for the most part, right? Not yet. So <laughs> <laughs> not yet. So uh, and that's a lot of work, right? So it turns out, like coming up with that copy, it's very similar. It reminds me of design. So that's something that we'll be talking about on this podcast as well which is uh, you know like design thinking yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for for bots when it comes to copy and language um, and it's it's a harder problem I think than, uh, than than designing for the web in some ways because you you're, you're much more constrained. Um, and so are, are you thinking about for analytics are you also thinking about, Copy and yep. like what when the bot says this, it tends to fail uh, for you know user responses.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so we we call that a template, right? So, for example, if if you have a hundred different ways of saying you know good morning, um, then you can we, we essentially group those all into the same kind of similar report. When we have a kind of a message flow report where you can kind of watch the the conversation go through, um, and then essentially like the idea here is you can kind of test and differentiate and split test and all the different ways that you're saying good morning, I guess maybe good morning is a bad example. Um, but you speak to a bigger thing, which is, you know, I think writing is really going to be important. Uh, there's the company Polestring, um, who made the bot Jesse Humani, uh, they employ there, they have a head writer who they, who they, you know, who was a Hollywood screenwriter. Uh, and they understand, you know, that, language is important and writing is important and in this medium I, I completely agree you know it reminds me a little bit of Twitter so Twitter kind of optimized our brains yeah. uh,
3: to speak in 140 characters and if you are on mobile getting a slack message or a Facebook message yeah. and you write all this long-winded web copy that you would have on a web page <laughs> and just stick it in there your user is just overwhelmed and tunes out right and thats so, like, there's all these cool analytics probably around, like, length and yeah. uh, tone and, you know, maybe certain, you know, people don't like kind of the witty tone and they just want the facts or something, right? So, are you seeing any of that kind of those kinds of patterns?
1: Um, not yet, but I, I definitely can see that happening. Um, you know, my favorite example of kind of tone is if you look, if you think about the intelligent assistant space, like uh, Alexa versus Siri, like Siri's tone is very much, she's like your friend that knows stuff, but is kind of annoyed that you're asking her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> whereas Alexa is like your friend that really wants to be helpful. And she's like, I'm sorry. Like I couldn't figure that out, but I tried. And seriously right, just right. like, I Googled it for you here. <laughs> right,
0: right. Yeah. Or something
1: snarky. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's a really great valid point. You know, like tone and language are definitely going to be experiments where people are going to be figuring out, you know, and I think on a, a person-by-person basis. There's actually an opportunity for the bot to tailor the conversation to the individual, which I think is particularly interesting. Um, yeah, the
0: granularity of tone that you can understand yeah. is incredible in a bot, right? You, when you're when you've got an entire yeah. web page, it's difficult to discern which sentence of copy, you know, right. increased your bounce rate. But with a bot, you know exactly what response it was that made people yeah. give up.
3: It reminds me a little bit of uh, groundhog day where Bill Murray is <laughs> reliving the conversation over and over again until, you know, he gets it exactly right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and one of, one of the features we're working on right now is the ability to kind of replay your own customer scripts back to your own bot. Um, so that's like a, like a testing. So, you know, you, you're, you're working with us, you send us the conversations. We'll essentially like, great, you know, Let's send the same conversation back through your bot and see if your bot responds the same, or you know what are what are the 100 different ways that your your AI engine and your NLP are going to kind of process this. Is it gonna? Are you gonna end up in the same place every single time we replay the script? Um, You know, which then kind of we think can lead to you know once you see a user and say they're you know a 25 year old female from from the city, you can have your bot speak in a different way than Mm -hmm. you know like an older person from the country or something right so you can use different languages if they're millennial you can use more emojis that kind of thing um and i think that's an interesting opportunity to have your bot understand and and respond to
0: right right and then start sort of formulating different different sets of of replies automatically yeah because you're just training it constantly on engagement that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I was speaking yeah. with someone the other day who has a, a bot um, you know, framework and uh and he suggested that he his framework was able to discern between formal and informal um speech and, and reply right. in kind. And I was pressing him to tell me what what training set he had (laughs) used (laughs) like i was like what have you have you uploaded urban dictionary and like used that as a as a training set for understanding when someone is speaking informally it sounded like it was a hand-assembled uh set that he had put together to to suggest (laughs) that you were speaking that the bot was speaking to a young informal person
3: yeah maybe youtube comments right that would be a scary bot all right uh yeah so dennis on that point like do you another thing that comes to mind with analytics might be something like alerting. So you yeah. mentioned like dropping out to a user. Um, so let's say you have you have trained it on Urban Dictionary and you start seeing uh, you know those patterns. You you have the capability to set up alerts where okay this conversation is going south. Yeah. And we need to drop in.
1: Exactly. And we think you know in talking to a lot of bot makers, um, kind of human in the loop is a pattern that a lot of people are still working on, which is you know, and and think is really important. Um, so our The analytics that we provide are real time in the fact that we can say this conversation we've seen, you know, they're they've hit the error message like three times in the past like minute, or they're using language or they're swearing at the bot. Um, The sentiment has gone really far south, and you should send a human in. And Mm -hmm. the idea here is that to start with those kind of easy things, and then graduate up to more complicated things, which is you know this conversation feels like a user that would convert highly, so maybe give them to. Um, a person that can, you know, take care of them and help them buy, you know, buy more easily, that kind of thing. Um, and we're, we're fascinated about the different kinds of patterns that we can see the conversations um, and help our customers kind of identify which ones to really kind of address with a human, for example.
0: Hmm.
3: There's something else you alluded to earlier when you yeah. said there's no equivalent of a 404 yeah. um, in a conversation. So I imagine like these you know, not having those HTTP status codes yeah. uh, would make web analytics extremely hard. Right. Um, and and it's strange because even if you have the, you're saying the closest thing is the bot saying, "Sorry, I didn't understand that." Right. Um, but if there's like an API failure, then to the user, it's just a zombie bot. It doesn't seem to be responding to me. Yep. And so, like, I guess on your metrics, that would just look like a flat line in it with an unclear cause.
1: Yeah, that's actually really interesting. We're you know, we did have some customers. You know, see some API failures and like, sorry, this uh, this message cannot be sent, that kind of thing, and it went all the way through to the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we would definitely, you know, we're trying to figure out with our with our customers what's the best way for you know for us to kind of handle that and to alert them on on the API level errors, right? Because at the end of the day, if the bot stops responding, you're actually not blaming Facebook or Slack, right? Even though. Mm-hmm maybe those APIs uh, were disconnected somewhere, um, you're kind of just like, oh, like the the bot stops responding, like they must be broken.
0: So speaking of these platforms, again, as someone who has a product that sits um, between yeah. a lot of bots and a lot of platforms, uh, wh- what are you seeing in the way of, of different um, usage patterns between the platforms? Aside from the obvious demographics, like Slack is generally used in the workplace and Facebook is maybe more of a personal <clears> platform. <throat> you know, do you see divergent, you know, Usage patterns emerging on these on these platforms.
1: Um, I mean, you know, obviously the, the the obvious ones are kind of there. It's a little bit early for us. Um, you know, we launched about two months ago, <laughs> okay. um, and we, we we currently you know are seeing a lot of growth in you know between Facebook and Slack. Um, Slack seems to have more, you know, it's an older ecosystem, so that the customers that are there are, seem to have a lot more, you know, complication to their bots. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook is a much younger ecosystem. Um, and since you only have direct message, there's a lot more single player experiences, right? Mm-hmm, Where mm-hmm. you're just chatting with um, the bot itself. Um, and I think that's it's it's fascinating to see what people are doing with it. Um, one of my favorite uses is uh, Redfoo from LMFAO actually has his own bot right
0: now, uh, and it's a
1: you know he has Who, like who's, who's over that? three million. Oh, he's a, a like a rapper.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I'm, uh, sorry, I'm I'm out of the loop. <laughs>
1: it's okay, um, and he's. It was amazing to see that you know he has millions of fans on Facebook, and he's actually you know, any time fans are actually chatting with his bot and it's responding. And it's you know Facebook has had pages for a while now, and I think that brands and artists and you know famous people have haven't quite figured out what to do with those pages to communicate with their fans. Uh-huh. Um, but it seems like you know the bot might actually be how to use those millions of fans
0: on Facebook actually. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what is what does his bot do? How does it communicate with people?
1: So you can you can talk to it and you can ask it questions about, you know, Red foo and you know, you can go through like his, you know, his history and basically um it was built by the same team that built Christmasina's bot. Okay. Um and Christmasine and its bot answers like, How did you create the hashtag? And he's like, I was tired of <laughs> 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 Christmasina. apparently was tired of answering that question. So now his bot uh-huh. just goes through that and answer that question.
0: Um, interesting.
1: But one other, you know, one other interesting thing that the the Redfoo and Christmas bot does is it facilitates group chats. So all of a sudden he'll be like, group chat, and even though Facebook doesn't support it right now, um, uh-huh. he essentially is kind of faking it. So he'll rebroadcast everything you say to his bot back to everyone else that's connected to that group chat. Uh, uh-huh. So it's almost like an instantaneous. He's a guy that that uh, the, the song he's famous for is Party Rock. So uh-huh. he'll have like a an instantaneous Party Rock party on his bot channel <laughs> with all of his fans which is hilarious and amazing to watch cuz you know and it's people from all over the world um, just yeah, chiming yeah. in all at once um, yeah That's it's awesome. it's
0: incredibly fascinating do you have any sense of of you know how uh user patterns are different on on mobile versus uh desktop when people are talking to to bots like um, are they are they
3: do, do you get that information we
1: we don't we don't see we don't see that um so i i do wonder you know if there is somewhere that we can kind of see the difference. That we w- that'd be one thing that we would love to see um, from the data side. Actually, is you know, are my users on Slack and Facebook on on web or mobile? Like which which interface am I using? Um, you know, since I'm in Messenger all the time, I'm actually on messenger.com, and I think most people don't know that Facebook has messenger.com, and most people don't use that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine most people are using on mobile. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I, I think
3: another thing that hits on, so if you take the case of Slack and the same on Facebook, the canvas that you have is actually yeah. different and the UX elements are slightly different on mobile versus on uh, desktop. And so that can matter for your metrics and for even your UX, right? So yeah. right now you sort of have to design to lowest common denominator, which is mobile with a messenger window with half of it taken up by the keyboard, <laughs>
0: right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Right. Yeah, and, and that's, that's something that, you know, I'm having trouble getting into at a personal level. I'm I'm happy to have I am like conversations um, on my computer to a yeah. certain degree, as long as it's not intrusive, as long as it's not breaking my focus during an essential time. Um, but when I'm on my phone, I I find they're they're really annoying or they're stressful. I am like conversations are stressful on my phone because it feels like I have to type very quickly. Sometimes sometimes my phone doesn't behave, you know, it's like very slow, it's very difficult yeah. to open the app, it takes ages and I feel like people are kind of waiting for me. Um yeah. and it's and it's it's very it, it's almost by definition intrusive because you have this like uh you know, I am experience coming at you wherever you are, which could be at dinner or or you know, when you're when you're out. Um so I I I do try to use a lot of IM services you know Facebook Messenger on messenger.com for instance or um, I send a lot of SMSs through my Google Voice account from my desktop and I love it because I can type really fast but as soon as these things become uh, things that I have to use on my phone I really seize up and I I wonder if that's something that's going to change I mean there I used to hate I am like you know exchanges until they became sort of a standard way of communicating with people and now I'm now I'm up for them I guess. So maybe I'll be okay with doing it on my phone soon.
1: Yeah, and it could be a generational thing. Um, Like even though I've grown up on the computer, I definitely am better typing on the keyboard rather than on my phone. And and watching like some of these millennials just handle multi-threaded conversations with like ten different friends all at once on their phones, I'm like, huh. All right. Now you know I never never used to feel old, but maybe (laughs) maybe that is that is the way.
0: Yeah.
3: You know, the, the, the counterpoint to that is I was noticing the other day is I feel like uh, I'm actually making fewer typing mistakes on the phone because it has, you know, like the nice smart keyboard uh-huh, uh-huh. with uh, auto suggest versus if I'm on the desktop, uh, it, I may get a notification that I'm spelling something incorrectly, but not more than that. Yeah. So maybe these interfaces will converge a little bit more and it'll it'll be great.
0: Right, right. Um, yeah. I In explaining this bot thing to people, I've started to feel really old, which is unusual. Usually I'm the one who's like, <laughs> who's like no, you don't get it. I use this all the time. I think it's great. And yeah. now now my explanation basically comes down to you and I don't do it this way. But believe it yeah. or not, this huge fraction of people who are way younger than us do it this way. And that's a, it's an odd sort of anthropological uh, position to be in. <laughs> yeah.
1: Didn't never. I never thought this would
0: happen. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: Well,
3: I, I gotta say, Dennis, like yeah. we're we have been talking a lot about analytics and you alluded earlier, you mentioned uh Game monk I, I just wanted to throw in uh throw that into the conversation again for a second. Oh, yeah. Um so I I played with it and you you pointed out another one to me uh on Facebook, Streak. Yep. Which I are they using Dashbot Streak? No,
1: not, you, or... not yet.
3: Not yet, but Okay. No. <laughs> not yet. Maybe they should. I think it would be really <laughs> interesting should, yeah. to look at The analytics there. Could you describe a little bit about streak?
1: Yeah, streak. So streak is a single player um, game, although they have a mass. They call that a massively multiplayer um, game once a day, and essentially it's a trivia game. And and the reason it's called streak is because every time you answer a question correctly, you get you get asked another question. So it's how many questions can you get in a row uh, correctly? Um, So you can play single player mode at, at any time. Um, up to six, which I found kind of frustrating because I was like, you know, why does it stop? Like you have a lot that, of that, questions. That's, that's
3: not massive. Uh, you mean up to six questions? Yeah, up to or six questions. Up to six questions. Oh, that's not much of a streak. I was no. thinking like the Seinfeld streak where, yeah. he, I don't know if you heard that, where you like, <laughs> do something every day and check yeah. it off on
1: the calendar. That's that's actually a a a, a super interesting pattern um, that they should do. Um, but yeah, at every day at 1 p.m. Pacific, everyone can play together and see who gets the biggest streak. Um, I keep missing the one one o'clock game, um, but it's essentially, you know, it's a single player trivia bot that at one time during the day, they'll kind of put everyone together in one big global game that you play at the same time and in real time.
3: It, it's interesting. So, I tried it the other day. And yeah. so
1: now it's messaging me
3: every day with a, yeah. <laughs> a street, uh, trivia quiz. Uh, I think there's kind of two interesting patterns there. One is yeah. this like Pavlovian response where, yeah. um, like, so we did something uh, where we have like a food bot that pops up every day. Yeah. And it does create a little anxiety in me where, <laughs> you, like, okay, it's like the food bell's ringing. I have to respond to the bot. Yeah. But it also, I mean, that's a known psychological pattern where you do something at the same time and people get used to it. Yeah. Um, it also the other thing I noticed with Streak that was interesting is like the challenges of UX, uh, and I saw this with Game Monk as well, where it would kind of warn you, "Hey, you've got like five second, you know, two seconds left to answer." Yeah. Um, and with Streak, what actually happened is when that popped up, I was about to click a button, uh-huh. and then the conversation moved slightly, and yeah. it made me hit the wrong button, and I got the <laughs> question wrong. So I'm, maybe I'm just upset that I got
0: the question wrong, but that's familiar yeah, from the is. world of mobile advertisements, yeah. right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> huh, new opportunity. Um, but you're right. I mean, these are these are brand new UIs, um, and you know, Facebook themselves launched improvements to the Messenger um, bot UI. You know, like I think something that that could be changed in Streak is they could use what the, you know the, the Facebook Quick Reactions, which leaves the buttons at the top at the bottom of the pane. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are new things that are coming. You know, like every every day almost it feels like someone is coming up with like a new pattern of of ui for these bots you know but before slack had buttons my favorite hack was when bot makers were hacking the reactions to basically be kind of fake buttons because there weren't Mm -hmm. buttons Um, Mm -hmm. and we were like when we first saw it happening we were really stumped we were like why is why are bots reacting to their own posts that's so confusing mm. like what what's going on here and then when we looked deep more deeply it was because they were, you know they wanted buttons and there that was the only way to get a button like interaction um and and to be honest like the 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 final reason why I like I love working in this space right now is it this feels like to me you know I was early web I started working on web products in the late 90s um before a lot of you know I was I was working on a blog before MySQL had primary keys, um, so you had to fake <laughs> fake making <laughs> a key by make generating like a random number and then adding it to the last yeah you know, whatever. So, and my point is that it's kind of this new frontier, um, and I I I love working in this kind of you know bleeding edge, figure out new solutions to problems kind of situation, um, and that's where we are with with conversational UIs.
0: There's a lot of stuff that people are working on now that's going to become sort of legend, passed around in industry cocktail parties uh, for, yeah. for the next 25 years.
1: Yeah, we can say we were we were there when <laughs>
3: <laughs> everybody's bot will be famous for 15 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, this place of fame and legend seems like a good place to uh, to wrap up. <laughs> Dennis, if listeners want to find you, where should they look? Um, we are online on the on the internet on the internet
1: at uh, dashbot.io. Although dashbot.com will now work as well. (laughs) Okay. Um, And uh, you can email me at, you know, find me on Twitter at, uh, at SIND, which is Dennis backwards. Okay. Um, So feel free to reach out with any questions or bot questions and sign up on Dashbot and check out what we're doing with analytics. You know, we'd love to work with you, work with anybody that, that uh, it's making bots or making conversational interfaces.
0: Do you have a Dashbot bot?
1: Um, I have a bunch of test bots, but uh, Game Monk is really the one I've been working on. If I had any spare time aside from building Dashbot, I would love to keep improving Game Monk. And actually, okay. if anyone wants to work on Game Monk with me, there's there's here's a little shout out for if you're interested in continuing uh, development and working on a, a somewhat successful Slack bot, let me know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I think the temptation to have a, a, a dash bot bot would be that you could call it like dash bot squared or some some <laughs> other sort of like pun related to that.
1: Dash, 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 bot bot
0: or something. Right, yeah. right. Well, Dennis Yang, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. So that was a cool conversation with Dennis. You know, this, this world of bot analytics is fascinating because Bots are are this incredibly new thing. Um, there's very little standardization as to how users interact with bots, how bots interact with users. Um, but we have to come up with ways to measure this stuff. And there's also very little in the standardization of um, of measurement. So so we're basically in the primordial soup phase of uh, of of bots. You know, you've got this like undifferentiated mass of of organic matter, and it's all swirling around, and things are getting ready to evolve out of it. And it's going to be really interesting to watch this stuff evolve.
3: Yeah. And I think it's also interesting because you have a lot of different platforms all evolving at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And anybody building a bot across these platforms is going to be struggling a bit on things like analytics, right? So things that are pretty standard and pretty uh, mature for the web Mm -hmm. uh, are are just and grew up for mobile recently are just getting started when it comes to, uh, bots. Right. So I think a lot of people out there have no idea what is happening with their bots. They're, (laughs) they're launching it. They're seeing if people respond and if it seems to be working they kind of keep going.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 The technology startup scene is seen by a lot of people as being this like crazy world where people can get funding to launch, uh, you know, new ideas that haven't been proven at all. And I think that view is, is largely exaggerated that, that actually, you know, there's some caution to a lot of this stuff, but in this case of bots, yeah, it really is a lot of people kind of wandering out into this new planet and, um, and figuring out what's going on and, and trying a lot of different things. The rate of change is incredible.
3: I think the other thing that was interesting about talking to Dennis is that, uh, the, the basic elements have some similarity to the web where you're tracking, you know, the equivalent of page views um, as messages sent, uh, and there's sessions and there's a lot of things that feel somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something else interesting going on, which reminds me a bit of, uh, uh Tim O'Reilly, I think called this, uh, a few years back micro listening. And so it reminds me almost of in the Obama campaign, uh, when they would listen to, uh, you know, phone reactions with people, mm-hmm. And, you know, try to at a micro level of, hey, we're talking to an older voter in mm-hmm. Wisconsin. You should use this kind of script. Uh-huh. It feels like that kind of analytics from call centers is now going to creep its way into everyday consumer interactions.
0: Interesting. Yeah, you're totally right. There's this this incredible potential for refinement uh, because you're you're testing every single line, every single reaction. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, to Dennis, the the granularity here is, is unprecedented.
3: Yeah. So it's, it's early and it's just getting going, but once the gears get going on these kinds of analytics, it could be actually much more powerful than what you can do on the web or in a mobile app.
0: Agreed. Yeah. You're, you're training an entire tree rather than just sort of like testing a bunch of things, uh, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. All right, now we move on to bot of the week. This is the second time we're doing it. Uh, the first time in the last episode we talked about bots that fight the man. Uh, today we're going to take a look at some of the bots inside the, uh, the Amazon Echo, both some native functionality as well as some fun plugins, or their skills, as they're called. So Pete and I both have these wonderful devices, um, and they're a constant source of entertainment. Some of the stuff that, that you want them to do works very nicely. Some of the stuff does not work at all as expected. And I think a lot of the um, the unexpected functionality has to do with the quirks of translating conventional user interface and conventional expectations into a voice interface. And, of course, the Echo is remarkable beyond Siri and Google Now, which we've um, you know been using for some time, in that it has... Uh, no visual interface or, or very little visual interface. It has an app that you run on your phone, but practically speaking, you're never going to be looking at that while you use it. So um, Pete and Pete's daughter have been having a lot of fun with, with their echo.
3: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been pretty interesting. Um, I had seen Hunter walk. Uh, who's an, in, uh, an investor uh, a seed stage investor Uh, wrote a post, uh, a blog post. I think it was titled, um, Amazon Echo is turning my kid into an asshole. (laughs) And and the, the gist of it was like kids love Amazon Echo, but some of the quirks of the interface lead to some weird behavior. So for example, in a lot of cases, it doesn't really recognize when somebody says please or tries to be polite to it. So it starts training kids to not Say please <laughs> uh, ahead of commands, and and also it start it, it trains kids to start barking commands at it. Uh-huh. Um, and sometimes the speakers are really good, but I've noticed with kids the voice recognition isn't quite as good, and so they can get a little frustrated and they start yelling at it.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
3: uh, but it's it's one of these things where I've noticed. Uh, we talked a little bit about bots in a group setting versus uh single user bots. Like Siri is mostly single user that you talk to on your phone Mm -hmm. um uh but with alexa the interesting thing is it's designed to have multiple people kind of talking to it at at once and at least in my house it leads to people fighting over controlling the playlist at the dinner table or something
0: right the the other thing about the the echo that's um occasionally a bit of a shortcoming i i think it has somewhat less kind of follow-on intelligence than um than Google now and Siri do so if you um, if you tell it something and it doesn't quite capture it correctly uh, it, it's a bit harder to say no what I meant was and and um, and correct it or to sort of clarify in the next statement you're often restarting and and, and beginning with a new statement
3: yeah and and this is uh, I think we're at the tip of the iceberg with most bots right now it's interesting because having Try, uh, worked on building some bots uh, for a little while now, uh, I can appreciate the difficulty. Um, I think for most consumers, most consumers don't care about mm-hmm. how difficult it is. They <laughs> just want it to work. But the reality is uh, having that level of memory and statefulness in a bot is extremely com- becomes extremely complex over yeah. time.
0: Yeah, it was only a couple of years ago that Google search itself introduced that kind of statefulness. Um, where you know the, the the previous search informs the next search. So, what what are your uh, what are your favorite built-in echo functions, Pete?
3: Well, um, I, could, I guess I could I could start with the good, um, and then I think there's a few funny examples of uh, where you can kind of poke holes in 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 the current uh, system. Uh, so, I think like the core functionality that I find really useful. Is simple, th- are simple things uh, like setting timers. Mm-hmm. So if you say, Alexa, set timer for 10 seconds.
2: 10 seconds, starting now.
0: Nine, eight,
3: seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. <phone rings> Alexa, stop. So Uh, That seems like a trivial example, but when you're cooking, when you're in the kitchen, you have your your hands are busy. That's actually really useful. And um, it's one of these as a product, I think it's it's really nice, and it, uh, it's a nice feeling where mm-hmm. normally you're frustrated and you're you know you're trying to finish something up, and oh, I need to go over to the microwave and hit a timer. I need to get my phone out and hit a timer and stop the music. And yeah, but it just works seamlessly, and it's really nice, and and it and I think it gives you one of those like aha moments, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the second or third time you do it. Um,
0: very clean, very intuitive. It's something that totally makes sense in a voice user interface, and it requires um much less effort than the equivalent in a conventional interface right setting a timer is one of these things that um on both ios and android takes a really surprising number of um you know of of clicks. (laughs) clicks yeah
3: yeah so the interesting thing about alexa is you can you can use it in public and i think it provides um so you wouldn't use uh, Alexa on like a a crowded subway train, uh, uh, or, or in a a packed office, it might be a little strange, but in a small group setting, it actually provides for a little bit of social learning. Mm -hmm. So some of the, I it's, it's not um, amazingly viral at the level of like Facebook or Twitter where things can, can really explode, Mm -hmm. but it does allow for a little bit of word of mouth discovery where someone in your house will like learn a command and say it and then everybody else hears it and they start doing it as well. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think there's something unique about the device. Uh, you you mentioned the smarts may not totally be there for follow on, uh, Mm -hmm. commands and things like that. Um, but I think that that the fact that it's coupled deeply in this device that works in a small group setting, um, is part of what makes it click.
0: Right, right, right. I, I downloaded one, uh, Skill in particular, that's a little funny to think of using in a in a group setting. Um, so skills are uh, are basically you know plugins for for the Echo. Um, you install them through the Echo's app, and then you you call them up with this kind of awkward syntax where you ask it to ask um, the skill to do something. So the the one that I have in mind is a password generator. Uh, this is people have written all sorts of apps. For, uh, for the echo. some of them are, are really odd. Everyone is just kind of like figuring out how to use this type of voice user interface and especially how to use how to use it with the, with the constraints and expectations of uh, the echo, which is a social bot and something that um, that only has a you know a voice interface. So what you do is you say, Alexa, ask password generator to generate a password.
2: Your generated password is appointment, enthusiasm, limit, dog.
0: So um, there are are two big drawbacks to the idea of a password generator on an Echo. Uh, One is obviously everyone within Earshot hears your password. The second one is um, uh, a a password is is like the least convenient thing to hear out loud rather than seen in a conventional user interface, right? You just want to be able to like copy and paste your Password from your clipboard, so it's kind of a silly thing to have on on this uh, voice user interface.
3: Yeah, I I think um, some of the skills I'll I'll mention a few skills that I that I think are interesting, uh, but some of the built-in uh, functionality. Uh, you mentioned my daughter, uh, you know, was getting a kick out of Alexa, so she'll sit there and ask it questions and so it's almost like a uh, so we talked about discovery being difficult in bots mm-hmm. I feel like the nature of the way that Alexa responds uh, people understand that it doesn't understand a lot of things right right um, and so they feel I feel like they have a little bit more tolerance and it becomes more of a game of seeing you can ask it ten things mm-hmm. and maybe if one of them it understands it's kind of fun and quirky right uh, and so it, it's a little bit of variable um, reward uh, at play I think.
0: Especially if you have a child's curiosity and patience for these kinds of things.
3: Definitely. So, in a way, I think Alexa is really built for five five year olds. Uh, (laughs) So you can sit there, and it works really well for five year old type questions. So, Alexa, who is the president of the United States?
2: The U.S. president is Barack Obama.
3: Right. So you know that that's not going to knock your socks off if you're an adult, but for a kid, uh, you know, you can imagine asking it little homework questions. You can say. Alexa, spell banana.
2: Banana is spelled B-A-N-A-N-A.
3: And, and here's another interesting one. Uh, So my daughter is actually learning uh, Japanese now. Uh-huh. And so uh, you can ask it, Alexa, say green in Japanese.
2: I can't pronounce that, but I've written the translation for you.
3: Yeah, so that's huh. kind of interesting. So and then it I shows think, up in your app. Yeah. I think it shows up in the app. Um, the other one, this is actually useful functionality that is abused in a serious way by my daughter. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, the shopping list, right? Uh-huh. And, and I think the precursor to the Echo was the Amazon Dash, which was a little device for heavy users of Amazon Prime and groceries. And they they sent it out for free and you could just hit a button and, and say, add to shopping list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you say... Alexa, add to shopping list milk.
2: I added milk to your shopping list.
3: Now, what it does is it does the voice recognition. It tries to find the best product, and that goes right into your shopping list on Amazon. And so it's kind of a, a buffer, and really mm-hmm. only the head of the household can like then issue the command to order those. Sure. Um, but what ends up happening is my daughter just adds tons of random things to the shopping list <laughs> and try and and finds it hilarious when Amazon misunderstands. So if you say Alexa, add poopy to the shopping list.
2: I've added poopy to your shopping list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, just it's like the pleasure of hearing an adult repeat a silly like kind of subversive word.
3: Right. This kind of happened with Tay as well, right? So right, it right. had a repeat after me functionality and people would make it say ridiculously <laughs> awful things. Right, on right, Twitter. right.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, you know, one of um, Siri's most endearing features when it became available and, and it was the first uh, sort of bot experience for many of its users was its kind of sassy responses to questions that it didn't quite understand. Um, I, I've talked with a lot of kind of UX people uh, who work on bots and and everyone now sees that as, as kind of a dangerous thing to do um, unless you nail it. You're gonna you're gonna just burn through a lot of cycles with your users, encouraging them to try to break your bot. Um, and I think Siri well, well, more well, or less one. nailed it.
3: Alexa, will you marry me?
2: I like our relationship the way it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so there there are some things I think I think the Echo is better at giving you Easter eggs in places where Easter eggs make sense, um, but it has a couple of hang up messages. Um, that it invokes when it truly doesn't understand what it thinks is a serious question. So if you ask it um, something like, Alexa, how do you dispose of used cooking oil? Something I Hmm. asked it the other day.
2: I'm not sure what you meant by that question.
0: That's one of its hang ups. Um, And then the the other hang up that it invokes is basically just the the light goes on and then, um, you know, the light just turns itself off. And it, it kind of decides that it, it didn't even necessarily capture a real query to it. So it, it doesn't it doesn't give you a funny reply every time it breaks. It just figures out which kinds of questions are, are most likely meant to get a funny reply. And it gives you a funny reply to those.
3: So uh, I don't know what percentage of the time it ends in. I'm sorry, I don't know how to answer that. But mm-hmm. it feels like a lot. It does. Um, so... Uh, I think I hit this the most. Another really useful functionality uh, is just playing music, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Amazon is working on a special deal to make more music available by default mm-hmm. um, uh, through Amazon Prime, uh, but only for playing on on the Echo. Okay. Uh, and but right now, what ends up happening. You ask it to play things. So either band names or artists, that's a very long tail set of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it, it gets easily confused and plays the wrong song or or stops. So you could say, Alexa, play All I Need is Love.
2: All I Need is Love, featuring Disney's The Muppets by CeeLo Green from Prime Music. <laughs> is this
0: the uh, the rendition that you had in mind? <laughs>
3: Uh, Please no, but if my daughter uh, said this, then it might, it might work. It might be fine. I don't know. Uh, but things like that. Um, it's, so it's, it's entering into that uncanny Valley territory where, you know, it's, it's, uh, gets a little frustrating when it gets these things, things wrong.
0: Right. I also wonder whether, because band names are, are so unusual and so far outside the, you know, the typical lexicon, whether when you say play, looks into a different um you know a different a different dictionary alexa play hoobastank
2: i couldn't find any songs by hoobastank in jonathan's music library
0: <laughs> well are artist yes.
2: stations link your iHeartRadio radio account using the alexa app
0: well i'm i'm glad to that that i've proven to the world that i, I don't have any hoobastank in, the, in my profile
3: well, uh It's interesting though. So it did know. So you bound your your account to this Alexa, Um, and so there's something interesting there. I think uh, if you fast forward, I see all this stuff getting better uh, for hopefully fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, uh, on Amazon itself, it has a pretty good idea of things you've bought in the past, and their personalization uh, is really excellent when it comes to books or 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 music or things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is all kind of a solved problem to some extent on Google uh, and and Amazon and Netflix, mm-hmm. and so it seems clear to me in a lot of these cases, their search is basically just not wired in. Uh, personalization right. and identity are not really wired in in a strong way in, right. into the bot yet.
0: Right. So let's let's move on to a couple of you know interesting uh, uh, user experiences with with these plugins, including some that really exemplify the, the shortcomings of identity that you mentioned. Uh, I've, I've installed a couple of plugins that have to do with messaging. Um, this is an area where, you know, the, the mobile operating systems have been trying for a while to get us to compose things like SMS uh, messages through the virtual assistant. Um, it's a pretty clunky experience in voice because you have a lot of things that you need to fill in or you need a lot of artificial intelligence to be able to distinguish, like, what's the subject line, who's the recipient, and so on. Um, now, to 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 demonstrate these, keep in mind that the syntax for getting the Echo to to invoke a plugin is to say, "Alexa, ask so and so to do, you know, whatever."
2: I wasn't able to understand the question I heard.
0: There, there, you uh, heard its response to ask so and so to do whatever, um, but it's it's a bit of an awkward. Um, syntax and uh it kind of makes you realize that amazon has reserved the best namespace for itself so alexa ask sms with molly to send a message to pete
2: who do you want to text pete what to text
0: hi pete what's up
2: i'm going to text hi pete what's up to pete is that okay Yes. Your message is on its way. Message sent.
0: So that's pretty clunky, but it's actually like roughly as clunky as the Android or iOS versions of this with Siri or Google Now. The thing that's Uh, extra clunky is that... By the
3: way, I'm sorry to interrupt. I I got the uh, text.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. The thing that's extra clunky about this is that uh, when it sends the text, it doesn't come from my number. It comes from the... A, you know the plugins number, and it has my number in it. So if you write back to that, I I don't know if I'll get it. So this matter of like presenting the user with a form in the voice user interface is very awkward, um, and it's not clear that it's avoidable. If you want to do something as rich as sending an open ended message to someone, so there's this other uh, Alexa skill called Iris. So hold
2: on. I've put iris soap on your shopping list.
0: <laughs> uh, she heard me uh, say her name and then Iris Alexa ask Iris to holler at Pete Skamarock.
2: sorry I'm having trouble accessing your Iris skill right now
3: Oh, I've encountered this on other bot, bot platforms yeah. as well uh, there's a difficulty you don't know whether the Alexa API is down right now or whether that bot is failing or whether Alexa, the Echo device itself, is failing. Right, right. So to a user, there's multiple points of failure, and it's very confusing, and it and it doesn't matter. The user is just annoyed. Right, right, um, right. And they're they're gonna blame Iris probably.
0: Right, right, that's right. I'm I'm blaming Iris right now. It it's a result of the, you know, the inherent kind of um, information sparsity in voice. Um, on a screen, an error message would pop right up and explain exactly what's going on. But it's very difficult to convey that kind of thing through a voice user interface in a way that's not really, really clunky. So uh, moving on, uh, the the Uber app is a really well-regarded one on, um, on the Echo. I think it makes a lot of sense because often when you're calling an Uber car, it's while you're kind of rushing around and, and maybe your hands are full. And it's a very simple request. So basically they've hard-baked in the location of your house when you're connecting the uber app to the echo um, it confirms your home address and that's where the car is going to be dispatched so they've basically made some assumptions they've limited the functionality of the plugin but in doing that they've improved the uh the user interface uh by by simplifying it dramatically so all you do is you say alexa ask uber to call a car
2: there is a new baracks about three minutes away from twenty two Bateman Street. Would you like me to order it? No. Okay. Goodbye.
0: So yeah, that that's that's a pretty straightforward transaction, one that they've handled really nicely in, in voice. They haven't tried to do, they haven't tried to accommodate every possible case, uh, which makes a lot of sense with these kinds of things.
3: Yeah, that that also reminds me of the timer use case. So in a way, that's kind of a more evolved version of a timer. Mm-hmm. Right So you're saying uh, you're doing you're issuing an asynchronous command in mm-hmm. some sense, mm-hmm. right and and it's very clear what the intent is, right? That's if right I want a newber. I always want a newber to go you know, from my house right I talk to Alexa.
0: Yeah, exactly, so, exactly. Um, and um, it cuts through a lot of button clicks. I mean it, you have to otherwise you have to open the app, you know, confirm your home address, hit hit yes a couple of times. Uh, so it's a real yeah. improvement.
3: Yeah, it's another rush use case as well, right? You're setting a timer usually when uh, you're in the middle of something, you're right? Ordering an Uber when you're in a hurry, getting ready, you need to get out the door.
0: Right, right, right. Um, now this this one uh, is is kind of uh, silly. It's called Secret Keeper. I don't really understand the point. I think probably someone felt like developing an uh, an Echo app, and uh, um, this is what they came up with. So, Alexa. Ask Secret Keeper to keep a secret.
2: Nice. A new secret. Remember to be brief. I'll be ready to hear your secret after the sound.
0: I enjoy my Amazon Echo very much, but I am skeptical about some of the skills that are available for it in the store.
2: Your secret is... I enjoy I am I Amazon Echo very much but I am skeptical about some of the skills that are available for it in the store. Did I get it right? Yes. Awesome. Remember all the secrets are anonymously stored. You can make your secret available to everybody by saying, public. Or keep it to yourself by saying, private. Should I keep it public or private? Private. Wonderful. Your secret is now in good hands. The following numbers are a password to access your secret. Pay attention to the two numbers. Your numbers are 80 and 435. Once again, 80 and 435. Your numbers are available in the Alexa app. Thank you for sharing your secrets with me. Bye.
0: Pete and I are signaling uh, thumbs down to each other. <laughs> As we listen to this. <laughs>
3: That is uh that is one strange app yeah I have to say isn't it um <clears throat> what is the what is the intent is it supposed to be like an anonymous uh, there was there was an app called secret right uh, that was briefly popular in Silicon Valley is it supposed to be something like that
0: and and secret um, not coincidentally went under they're one sure. of a handful of apps that just kind of returned their remaining capital to their investors and uh, um, dissolved itself. Um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, think there, there could be the, um, you know, the intent of building a social network on top of the echo, which is a really interesting idea, actually. What if you could build an echo exclusive social network? Um, not sure this is going to be it, but there, there's also kind of, um, a long tradition of bots that act as therapists or confidants mm-hmm. or, or friends, right? There's the, the one for Emacs um, that pretends to be a, a therapist and that um, just asks you questions based on uh, what you've typed in. That's been around for decades. Um, and and there have been a handful of others in that vein. So maybe it's kind of, you know, uh, someone who will listen to you speak to it. Uh, okay. Keep a secret. It's, it's kind of a nice idea, um, but the intent I, is not that clear.
3: Yeah. So there's something interesting You mentioned a lot of bots try to add personality and try to seem human, so I think the fact that the Amazon has those microphones built in and is sitting there and is voice activated Mm -hmm. does a much better job, even minus the personality, than these other bots, because of what you just said of that human factor. Mm -hmm. Where if you if it's late at night and you're working late and you just say Alexa, play some Bach.
2: Shuffling Johann Sebastian Bach from Prime Music.
3: <laughs> so that may be uh, a little more depressing, depending on.
0: What's interesting is that it doesn't pick particularly popular Bach. That's mm-hmm. that that piece whose name I can't recall off the top of my head, but that I know is from fairly deep in the the Bach oeuvre mm-hmm. for a solo organ and there are <laughs> there are other um, works by Bach that are vastly more popular and probably better for relaxing at your desk late at night let's see this other uh funny failure mode that I think uh is kind of implemented winkingly where the echo just doesn't stop
3: Alexa whose birthday is today
2: Julian Casablanca's Edwin Collins Bill Haslam Daniel Rutiger. Lawrence Frank, Charlie Borman, Eric Stolhansk, John Rocha, Alan Passaru, Antonia Novello, Gary Mabut, Cortez Kennedy, Jarko Rutu, Jim Murphy, Jeannie Elias, Greg Murphy, Kenny Wallace, Johan Bruyneil, Francis Yeo, Eliza Carthy, David Chu, Bunny Lee, Constant Lambert, David Dodd, Kenta Miyake, when does it stop? Rhodes, Igor Trubetskoy, Brian Hayes, Elaine I think Sturband, there's Kenny Pavey, Francis How many first, people are on Wikipedia? Reince, <laughs> <laughs> Frederick Marcus, and there's 365 Alexander days Lillard in a year, Carter, right? Right. So, oh, you know, well, on brothers, the order of uh, probably tens Bill of thousands. Tucker, oh, it's yeah. Francois. Yeah, yeah. Alexa. <laughs>
0: stop. Um, all right. Well, we we would love to hear from you uh, if the listener, if if you have any favorite. Uh, Echo skills. We can do a repeat of this um, bot of the week sometime with with further skills. It's always fun to explore these things. And of course, the the built-in functionality is improving all the time too, which is a really interesting thing to see. We're, we're used to that in conventional user interfaces. You log in one day and the, you know, the UI has been tweaked a little, the functionality has been improved, but it's very clear. It's really difficult to tell with something like the Echo um, when a bit of functionality has been improved. You just have to try something again that you've tried before and notice that it's better.
3: Yeah, uh, so I think this is one of the more exciting bots that we've looked at. Uh, It's evolving, like you said. You have a a chance for repeat interaction uh, because it's always listening. Um, I'm actually looking forward to it being a little more proactive over time. I think it could be really interesting, and I think there's a good set of people who would be okay with that. Um, Right now, it only responds when you say, Alexa tell me a joke.
2: What's the first thing that Santa teaches his helpers? The alphabet.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Again, I think Alexa right now is largely built for 5-year-olds, but uh-huh. like a lot uh all good software it'll evolve and I think it'll be good for everybody fairly
0: soon. Yeah, there's there's there are a couple of Alexa jokes that I've um told to, you know, young cousins of mine and and they've thought they were pretty entertaining. I've I've remembered them cuz they're good clean um you know, clever jokes that an adult will actually kind of laugh at, too.
3: Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I give this bot uh, two thumbs up.
0: I do, too. It's become a, a yeah an essential part of my living room. I just have to find some really good skills for it. So, um, if you're interested in voice user interfaces, it's going to be one of the things that we'll talk about at O'Reilly Bot Day. Remember, it's October 19th in San Francisco. For more information, go to O'Reilly.com slash Bots. For O'Reilly Bots, I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Scomrock All right. We'll see you next week. We'll have Pete Skomarok back on for our next episode. Be sure to check out O'Reilly Bot Day on October 19th in San Francisco. Visit O'Reilly.com slash bots for more information, or just Google O'Reilly Bot Day. I'm John Bruner with O'Reilly Bots.